around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment, including integrated applications and services built on an open platform our solutions enable digital workflows across engineering disciplines and distributed project teams from the office to the field. And today, leverage digital twin technology to help solve the most complex of engineering challenges. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm your host, Rob Horgan, and joining me today is Helen Samuels from EKFB, and Alex Raitt from Allies and Morrison. Helen is a chartered civil engineer with a master's in environmental management and a fellow of the ICE. She has served as an industry advisor for Plymouth, Cardiff and UCL universities and was working group chair and report author of review of infrastructure governance as part of a wider review of asset safety post Grenfell. She is currently managing director for EKFB, delivering an 80 kilometer stretch of the HS2 civils program with former roles including Managing Director at CH2M Hill, now part of Jacobs, and Engineering Director for United Utilities and Network Rail. Welcome to the show, Helen. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Also joining us today is Alex Raitt, who is an experienced architect. Alex has been at Allies & Morrison for 22 years and a partner since 2015, leading on a variety of complex projects in the public eye. A champion for technical excellence, Alex is also an active member of the British Council of Offices and sat on the Technical Affairs Committee that produced the 2009 Guide to Specification. He is also a board member for Better Bankside and sits on the St Albans and Watford Design Review Panels. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Welcome. Thanks for having us, Rob. Thank you. On today's podcast, we're going to be looking at the barriers to adopting digital technology and construction. Alex and Helen were both recently involved in judging the British Construction Industry Awards and during today's episode we're going to look at the common problems and issues that they saw during the judging process in terms of adoption and implementation of digital technology and construction. But first let's start with the positives that you saw during in the entries for the BCIA this year, particularly from the winner and the highly commended in the Digital Initiative of the Year category. Alex, if you could kick us off and tell us a little bit about the winner and why, as a group of judges, you gave it such high praise. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, our winner was the International BIM Pathfinder Programme, which was an initiative delivered by Mock McDonald to increase adoption of BIM in Vietnam, Indonesia, Colombia, Peru, Mexico, Brazil. Um, we really liked it. It was a low-tech solution that built on the UK's experience to enable those emerging and developing economies to really get ahead quickly and effectively in BIM. So it had true international and impactful digital initiative, um, supported an increase in the digital maturity of, that, of, the, of the built environment in those, in those locations. And even more impressive, it was delivered in lockdown and managed to capitalise upon the strictures of remote working that we were all subject to, um, to really creatively deliver the programme. So just a fantastic initiative all around. Sounds like a very worthy winner. And uh, Helen, if you could quickly give us a, a quick summary of the, the highly commended and why it stood out for, for special praise. Yeah, sure. Um, so highly commended was Jacob's work on the Transpennine upgrade programme. And um, uh, up until Mott's coming on, it was, it was absolutely up there as a winner. It was a really, really strong entry. And what we what we really liked uh, about this project was 
Um, digital twin isn't a new concept and BIM certainly isn't a new concept. Um, and quite often we see organizations, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, not starting from scratch, but starting from a much lower base and then trying to work their way forward. And what Jacobs did was they started, um, they were sat client side as the PMO, which is helpful. And again, I'm sure we'll talk about the importance of that, but they, they started with a digital strategy. Um, so they knew where they were going before they started and they'd considered the entire life cycle of the, of the asset uh, and what the art of the possible was. And they had a very structured and forward thinking approach and, and, it, and it looked at all of the supply chain partners and brought everybody together. And they did it in a way that was technology agnostic as well. So um, it really, it, we, we saw several BIM entries, but this was something that was above and beyond as a pure digital, you know, a true, maybe not a pure, but certainly a true digital twin aspiration. Um, and it really impressed us. And the other thing we really liked about them, when they came to actually present to us as a panel of judges, they were just really refreshingly honest. You know, there was no... Um, hard sell around the submission. They were just very, very honest. Um, and there was really integrity in the answers to some of their questions and the things that they'd tried to achieve and hadn't been able to, um, and a real intelligent analysis of what the blockers were. So we found that that really set them apart from some of the other entries. It was a really, really strong submission. Great, another another uh, worthy entry by the sounds of it. For, for any listeners uh, tuning in, if you'd like to find out more about the BCIA winners this year, check out New Civil Engineers' latest uh, edition, which is available online. Um, now, moving on um, and thinking a bit more broadly, but also thinking about your time judging the BCIA, just wonder if we can look at the industry as a whole. How, how well do we think uh, digital technologies are being adopted on construction and engineering projects at the moment? Hmm. It just seems extraordinary when we look back at 2016, which was when the government mandate for BIM Level 2 um, came into force. Um, and sometimes it does, and I mentioned this earlier when we, when we were talking about the Jacobs entry, sometimes it feels as if we just, we haven't even got to there in some, in some projects, in some sectors. Um, others we have, so that I think there's quite a diverse range of maturity across sectors across different organizations, whether they're supply chain or, or client side. Um, and it doesn't seem to be the unique preserve of the larger organizations either. So I, I feel there's a lack of connectivity um, and, uh, and a lack of um, standing on the shoulders of the excellence of, 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 of other projects and other organizations. I really do. I don't know what you think, Alex. Yeah, well, I mean, from the perspective of the judges, um, it was great to see a whole host of really creative innovations and fantastic problem solving to the problems that were set to those teams. But being able to see them all together, it did strike us that there was just not enough connectivity between these solutions. So innovation was happening in silos. And that ultimately, to us, felt like an inefficient way of using all of that talent and all of that expertise and all of that innovation. Um, I'd agree um, with Helen's point that it's patchy across the industry and in some places we're seeing excellent innovation and in some places we're seeing, you know, a lack of kind of embracing of digital technology. But fundamentally, the problem seems to be that everybody is working independently and not together. Mm. So would you say the, the issue is that the innovations themselves sort of don't go far enough or that the people behind the innovations or the industry as a whole doesn't look at the sort of the bigger picture beyond a specific project's delivery. The, the word that we kept 
hearing and kept talking about through the day, the judging day, was interoperability and that um, the ability for um, exchange, so make use of information um, um, from other innovations, you know, cross platforms, etc. Um, and our feeling was that the um, that that sort of big picture doesn't exist and and really isn't in the gift of the individual projects. Um, that has to come from a bigger leadership, um, be that a political system through regulations or clients really grasping the metal and seeing a strategic benefit to innovation and data as part of a much bigger system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, there are almost two dimensions to this. I think the first dimension, um, and both of these dimensions existed in the original vision for you know Digital Built Britain. Um, you know, one of them is whole asset life cycle. And at the moment, we seem to be really struggling as an industry to get beyond uh, the project life cycle of, uh, you know, design, construct, handover. Um, so the life of that digital deliverable, um, that product at the end of construction um, just seems to wither away. Um, sometimes at best, it might end up on an archive uh, somewhere. So you've still got the information to go back to if you end up doing renewals or upgrades or whatever may, may be in the future. Um, but it doesn't end up being enshrined in the way of running that asset um, throughout its life. So that's kind of the first dimension. And then the second dimension, which which um, really coming on to Alex's point around interoperability, is the joining together of different data sets across different, different data set owners. Um, you know, why we're still in a position where, you know, we can't just look at a single, what's the digital twin of the city of London, Manchester, whatever. Why, why can't we do that as an industry? There, there've been attempts to partly do that in the past, but it's very much been major project focused and major project specific. And for me, that's a real, you know, that that's a, that's almost a, that's almost part of the holy, holy grail is to get that integrated digital picture of everything, um, not just project related and just not just within the boundaries of one asset owner or one project envelope. And, and taking that wider um, beyond the running of an asset um, to tackling some of the big challenges that face society at the moment, be that climate, be that inequality, be that safety, whatever that might be. Um, we're not going to know whether we're making progress unless we know how the system as a whole is working. And that's why it feels so important to have that information at our fingertips. Um, and, you know, isolated kind of um, projects operating very well doesn't give us that full picture. Hmm. So they're talking about a full picture or working together as a whole. Do, how, how do you think the industry can work together to ensure innovations do, do not become siloed, as you both mentioned there, and, and that, you know, we we all work together towards towards a common goal? And and does that common goal even exist at the moment or does it need sort of clearly defining and, and spelling out? Mm. Or is it an, or is it a movable feast that's evolving all the time? Well, I think it'll always be a, a movable feast, but I certainly think I feel quite strongly that there's a there's a there's a um, a leading role for, for for clients. So and and by clients I mean asset owners. So if you're the asset owner and you're the client, whether you're a utility company or um, you know a, a rail company, whatever it, whatever you may or you know tall buildings or whatever it might be, but if you're an asset owner and a client. I do think that you have a, a really strong role to set the vision and the strategy for um, 
for the digital world in your world um, because you're the one who who owns the asset through its life cycle. So if we're ever going to make the jump from um, digital twin for construction, design and construction through to digital twin for whole asset life cycle, for me, I think it has to start with the clients. But then there's the wider context of um, if we if we end up with clients continuing to operate in their own little bubbles and not collaborating, then you you, you lose that opportunity to um, to both stand on the shoulder of each other and develop and build on innovation rather than starting from scratch. Um, so you know that you know that that that's a bit of a problem if you if you're not you know if you're not collaborating in that way um, and and just sharing just sharing best practice. And providing that vision so that your supply chain coming in know what they're know what they're heading into, and you don't end up with a white elephant digital product at the end of construction. It, I mean, it was yeah, I totally agree, and it was it was it was evident from the submissions that there's an enormous amount of talent out there, right? There's lots of people who know what they're doing and how to do it, and how to solve problems, and how to put together the data um, and use digital technology appropriately, but. As an industry, I think we have a recruitment problem in terms of getting the best minds in in at the grassroots level, um, and a consequential shortage of skills, you know, needed to adopt technology effectively and and think in a kind of systems connected way. Um, I think probably the industry is still perceived as being a bit messy and unsophisticated and and lacking in diversity and all of the things that really we need to address in order to improve our ability to recruit. And I think that lack of the kind of big picture, that kind of common, common connected whole, you know, the thing that we're all kind of grasping for, also has a significant impact on individual organisations' confidence in investing in R&D um, and establishing the roles that they then need to recruit for. So there's a sort of vicious circle going on here that um, we all know we should do it, we all want to do it, but we know that there's an investment required to do it and a kind of restructuring required to do it. And our confidence to be able to do that is impacted by there not being, you know, clear leadership. Um, and, and, you know, I think that all kind of filters down to one of the problems that we were identifying as we were looking at the, the, um, or reflecting on the, on the submissions was, um, why is this there? Why is there a reticence? Why is there a hesitation to sharing information and sharing data and sharing technological solutions? And I think, you know, that sort of, holding on to the thing that you've invented um, is a result of this, you know, of, of this kind of vicious circle that I was describing. I, I think there's two points you've raised there that I think are really interesting, Alex, and, and you're right, we did talk about this on, on the day. One of them is that I, I would almost call it, call it a war on talent um, because there are, you know, there are a, apprenticeships and degree programmes where we can have new entrants coming in as digital experts we have that already. I mean, not enough of them for sure, but we do have those already. Um, but but what tends to happen, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is is you know we just can't keep up with the competition uh, because the salaries that these guys can command if they go off and work for the BMIs and the uh, and the um, and, and the Googles and the of, of this world, we just we just can't keep up with the salaries, or we choose or we choose not to keep up with the salaries. So I think there's a for me there's definitely a war on talent, um, you know, within you know, within the industry. So I can't remember what the other point you made was, but it was really profound and I was definitely going to build on it. <laughs> Is it the lack of the big picture and the ability to invest? You know, the sort of the, the sort of confidence to invest? Yeah, I, actually, yeah. No, no, I think and I think it was the I think it was the piece around um, you know, the confidentiality and oh, yeah. people wanting to hoard the information and not let go of it. 
And um, that that's a really interesting concept, isn't it, in the whole world of, um, you know, free access um, to data and, the, you know, the behaviours of some of the, you know, let's say the social media uh, environment where everything belongs to everybody and, and there are no secrets. So I think that's quite interesting. Uh, but one of the things we spoke about on the day was, you know, what if we did think about a structured approach to sharing data as a as a product in and of itself? Um, and we had quite a feisty debate, didn't we, with the other couple of judges um, around, well, you know, how would you do that? Because if you just allowed the Wild West in and made all of the data freely available, you've got issues around critical national infrastructure and the need to have um, to have some secrets <laughs> from, uh, you know, from the world. Um, you know, for for reasons of of security, um, but also um, protecting against um, you know, um, protecting against just pure profiteerism and restricting access from people who need the data and have a right to the data, and it's the right thing for society for that data to be available. For example, to construct new assets. Um, so balancing that need for controls and governance um, and 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 regulation. Uh, against the innovation and the fleet of foot that you would get by um, outsourcing that activity uh, into the marketplace and how you might balance that um, and whether you could have an organisation who was contracted to do that, but within a within a safe envelope of, of regulation. Um, so we, we sort of had quite, a, quite an interesting debate around how that might or might not work and whether that's a piece of work that we should be thinking about stepping into uh, as an industry. Who do you think would lead that? Lead on that? I, I know earlier you were saying that clients kind of have to take the take the lead and get out of their bubbles. Is it is it down to them? Is it a government policy? Is it something like the Infrastructure Projects Authority? Who who sort of needs to sort of grab this by the scruff of the neck and sort of lead on it and say this is what we're going to do? Alex, what do you think? I've got an idea, but I'm really interested to see what you think. <laughs> Our sense is that the um, the kind of technologies we're seeing emerged are are fueled, if you like, by data and structured data, um, and that the industry desperately needs somebody to take ownership of data structure, st structuring. You know, some sort of format that everyone from the big main contractor or the big um, asset owner all the way down to the small SME can adopt and all everybody is kind of you know pr producing and, and holding that data in the in the in the same way in the in the same format um right now it's large organizations with deep pockets that are establishing um those kind of rules as it were um which is fine if that generates progress quickly um, but it runs this significant risk that Helen was kind of talking about of profiteering and monetizing it, you know, that that um, it's all held by one organization and they're a private organization and, and we will need to, you know, pay to access it. So, I don't know, it, it feels to me like it needs some kind of cross-industry body to um, be established who are given the, the kind of remit and the mandate to establish this. Um, it's interesting thinking about other industry precedents, you know, financial services and things like that have have systems in place that everybody um, uses and adopts. Um, but but yeah, I, I suppose my, my view is it you know led by government. I would say there needs to be the establishment of a of a cross industry um, uh, task group. Let's call it. Helen, is that? Yeah, I'm, I'm minded to agree with you, Alex. I, yeah, I think I think single point leadership is really important, and I think it does need to be. Um, public sector, government-led, um, because we need the safety nets in place. So I think certainly leadership um, and and a remit um, from within government. Um, and I think 
you know how we how we actually drive it forward it has to be a collaboration doesn't it so a collaboration of the main clients and the main asset owners and information not just assets but information owners of the entire environment um collaboration but also a collaboration from technology um i would be very wary though of any of anything along these lines being being technology led mm. um or technology vendor led um certainly part of the collaboration but we need to think about what 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 what's the end in mind rather than going down a technology route because i think that can be very dangerous um and you know when in so i think there's a whole thing around who establishes who governs who regulates and who sets the rules and ensures that whatever we choose to do is done safely and then there's the question around who does the doing and who does the doing i mean it, you know it could be an, an, an ibm um or maybe i probably shouldn't mention names should i i don't know you'll have to bleep that out won't you but it could be a technology company um who, who who leads and delivers under a contract you can you can, men you can mention names can we're not the bbc oh, well, that's all right. yeah. <laughs> um or it you know it, it could be an organization who is already the custodian of a very large volume of data so you could look at you know as an example you could say well why did we ask the water utilities to do it because they have geographic areas they have a whole load of data that they already own and are accountable for up upkeep um and and it's useful that they've got the they've got the boundaries they've already got a regulatory body um uh, but but you know as an example or or it could be something within the local authorities so i i don't know I and mean, i think there's lots of different ways you could cut it but i think there's a distinct regulator side of things um and then i think there's a distinct deliverer um, and the deliverer could potentially change over time uh, depending on how on how it was structured so it's either you know a group of organizations or it's something that you know, it's maybe tendered on a periodic basis. I don't know. But I, th I think I your know. point, uh, your point about establishing the principles, is absolutely right, isn't it? That it's not. This isn't a. This isn't a technology solution, that 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 leads. It is. What do we What do we need and want to get out of this process? And how do we, for instance, incentivize the sharing of information so that there's a there's a there's a carrot and stick approach if you like there's a regulatory reason but there's also a benefit it's not it's not pure altruism that you're sharing this stuff for there's a there's a kind of benefit that you you harvest as well from um from participating and it's those sorts of strategic discussions that need to happen to establish the the sort of underlying um intent that then maybe it's a technological solution that as, as helen says that that enables you to then deliver it so yeah, it sounds to me like it all comes back to what we were talking about earlier um, with the sort of need to work towards a bigger picture, as it were, almost like you need to put the outcomes out there first and then find the solutions to them. Am I right in saying that's what you're you're both sort of getting at there? Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, this isn't this isn't for lack of hard work. It's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of passion. It's not for lack of innovation. Um, and ideas that's not what's missing i think it is the what's the glue that's going to join everything together and what's the vision that's going to pull us all in the same direction so that we can you know build on each other's successes rather than you know, continuing oh start a new job oh right what's what's our digital strategy going to be or worse still not have a digital strategy um and and kind of cobble together uh, as we go um based on you know, whoever has the strongest desire within the within the collective team delivering the project. So I think absolutely it's that two things really, the vision and the leadership, and then there's the glue um, that joins everything together and makes sure that we're all we're all working collaboratively. And and do you have any thoughts on how you do incentivize 
um, you know, people to share their ideas, to share their intellectual property, as it were, that they're sort of so desperate to cling on to at the moment. Um, and how you sort of turn it from, I guess, a, a competitive, a very competitive industry where people are sort of wary of sharing ideas to one where it's more, you know, collaborative. Is it paying losing bidders on tenders for their ideas or um, does enough of that happen at the moment, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I, there's a sort of irony here, isn't there, that the the sheer kind of disorganisation of the industry and the sort of random way, but potentially it's all this stuff going on, um, actually renders us pretty safe from the advancements of AI, you know, because who would model that? How, would you, how on earth would you do that? But... Um, I'm not sure it's entirely an IP issue. I think there's a kind of poor attitude to information management at organisation and industry level. And and there is, you know, we've seen this um, as an architectural practice, but the complexity of project delivery has just grown exponentially. You know, it's just a much more complicated world and the way things happen is much more complicated. Um, but the kind of industry lagging behind in terms of adopting a single digital um, exchange protocol um, um, feels like that's been part of the problem. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think this is not, it's not deliberate conspiracy not to collaborate at all. Um, I don't think there's any lack of desire to collaborate whatsoever. Um, and, you know, there are so many joint ventures, um, collaborative projects, uh, people moving from one organisation to another and taking their brains with them. Um, I, I, I genuinely don't see any lack of desire to collaborate. I don't see, I don't see very much in the way of uh, a reluctance to share uh, amongst organisations. And when, and and you know, you, you know, just the competition that that you ran at, for the construction industry awards. I mean, nobody was holding back then. They're all sharing their wonderful ideas and achievements. So, I think Alex is right. I think it's just we just make it difficult for ourselves because we're not organised. So it's not conspiracy. It's just. It's more about how we organise ourselves and put some structure in place and some leadership. Yeah, an example of that as a practice, we've 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 invested internally, probably to give ourselves a competitive edge. But we've invested in you know developing our own embodied carbon tools so that we can we can track embodied carbon as we're developing designs. But Alex, is that a plug you've just put in there? It isn't. It isn't a plug. No, it's, <laughs> it was just to say that we're one of many practices who've developed their own embodied carbon tool, and it would have been clearly beneficial to the whole um, to the whole industry if um, if there was one collective effort to do that. So. I mean, that's just one tiny example, but it, it's, it kind of gives an indication of the, the challenges that we have. Yeah. But yeah, if you like a plug as well. Having teased you slightly, I think that is actually a really excellent example because there are so many organisations developing their own carbon tool and there's a lot of gaming goes on when people set their own rules and criteria um, to give themselves a really good, I'm not saying everybody does that, and I'm sure that you don't, Alex, but you know, the, you know if we had a consistent approach um, to that particular challenge, I think we would be much further forward in, in what it is we're trying to achieve as an end goal. So having giggled <laughs> a little bit, I do agree with you. That's an excellent example. Thank you. And the plug. <laughs> is, are there any signs that things like that, there, there are um, any sort of progress on, on there being, I guess that's not the point of sharing, is it? That's more the point of you need someone to come in and say, right, this is the best one, we should all be using this one. Because as you say, the innovations already exist, there's loads of them out there. Uh, is, is it 
is that you sort of need, I guess that's regulation, is it? That's more government setting the rules saying this is, this is the carbon calculator we're all going to use now, or? I, I think, I think it's, I think it's probably a little bit more aspirational than that. I think there is an element of let's get the best players together and choose the best of the best. Um, but I, I don't see it as a static position. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's almost as if, well, let, let's see what everybody else is doing and let's collectively decide what are the core guiding principles that should that, that, that we should follow moving forward so we can continue to raise the bar um, through guiding principles rather than this is the tool we're all going to use. Because if you have the guiding principles, then, you know, the rule book is set. So you can include this and you can't. So for carbon, um, let's say, let's be controversial, you can't include offsetting because we all know that that's cheating. Um, dare I say it? Uh, but but um, and this is the approach that we should have for HVO, for example. So, you know, I think there are a couple of examples you could choose that would be guiding principles. But I think keeping them as high level as you can whilst preserving the integrity of the direction of travel is important because then you don't stifle innovation. So we 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 uh, th this is a guiding principle, but it doesn't. It's not the you know there are various different ways you can skin the cat to get to that outcome, so you can continue to innovate and build on the shoulders. So I think that's how I would prefer, and and that 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 could apply to all sorts of areas, whether it's carbon calculators, whether it's digital twin, um, you know whatever it might be. I think there's all sorts of things you could apply that 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 broad approach to. See so you nodding away there, Alex. Yeah, no, I, I mean. Absolutely what Helen says, I totally agree with. And I think, um, you know, the challenges that we were referring to earlier, you know, climate being one, safety being another, you know, um, um, equality being, a, you know, and social value being significant challenges. We know what those are um, and we know why we why we think, you know, a holistic approach to a data system is is important. So it's a, it's a case of, you know, thinking about what are the, what are the challenges that we we want to prepare ourselves for and solve and and then feeding that back into what, what are the, what does that then establish as a as a set of kind of guidelines for how we um how we collect and, and use the data great uh plenty to think about there um i guess in terms of before we go what what would you say are the sort of the immediate next steps then that you know need to take place um for us to to get to a a world where we are sharing data, sharing innovations, getting out of the silos, working towards a big picture. How do how do we achieve all of that in terms of what needs to happen in the short term? I guess before we get there. Um, I I do believe that the digital twin piece um, could be a real catalyst because whilst we've got lots of other areas and and I, and I do like Alex's example around the carbon tool. I think that's an, that's an, and and you know there's lots of other areas that, that you, know, you could springboard from as well. But I think if we could tackle the digital twin piece first, I think that would give us a really powerful platform to to build upon. Um, so, you know, maybe it is the, you know, thinking about, you know, where does the guiding mind sit um, in terms of setting the vision and setting the regulations that need to be in place to make this safe, um, whilst aspirational and not, not placing too many shackles. Uh, on the approach that that would be my view. I don't know what you think, Alex. Yeah, no. I mean, the digital twin has the advantage of of being tangible. You know, you can actually demonstrate value and and use it as an effective tool. Um, and I think that's quite compelling when you know when we and others are you know lobbying 
um, our politicians to, to kind of grasp the metal and, and, and provide leadership here. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Helen's point there is, is well made that, you know, that, that's, that seems to be the place that we should invest our energies in. Um, and then, you know, at the risk of being political when this government begins to kind of, um, or if this government can, um, uh, can offer leadership, um, then that's got to, that's got to be the next step. That's got to be, um, um, you know, in the context of the Building Safety Act, in the context of the climate emergency, in the context of all of these big kind of systemic change or big movements in our, in our world, um, that that has to be the, the the kind of generator. I think. I, th I think you're right, and 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 I just wanted to chip in at the end there, just to you know, we're not saying that there's been no progress. I'm I'm sort of listening to what we've been saying in my head and rolling it back. And you know, if if actually if we look back to all of the work that was done you know, within the Digital Built Britain and setting the vision for, you know, the BIM and then the, you know, the 2016 launch of Level 2 and then all the work that's happened since and the, and, and the uh, you know, all the, 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 the commonality. And in fact, this was the, this was the foundations on which the, the winner of the BCIA Awards, MOTS, you know, they use that platform. So we do, that's the other powerful thing about the digital twin approach is that there is already a really, really strong platform to build on. It's not a starting from scratch. So I don't want us to come across as being really negative as, as if we've not made any progress at all, um, because we absolutely have, um, just just not enough <laughs> and not quickly enough. Brilliant. Uh, I think all our listeners will agree that's a fantastic conversation and uh, plenty of food for thought to take away. Um, thank you for joining me today, Helen and Alex. Um, hopefully have you back on maybe in a, in a year's time and see if we've made any progress uh, with achieving our collaborative dreams. Um, anyway, th thank you to everyone for listening and tune in again for another episode of The Engineers Collective. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems, with industry-leading software solutions used by professionals in organisations of all sizes for the design, construction and operation of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities, Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash The Engineers Collective.